0: Why listen to the past, when you can listen to the future? Welcome to the Think Future podcast, broadcasting from deep in the heart of Silicon Valley, California. We focus on innovation startups in the future not necessarily those and not necessarily in that order here's your host well thank you so much for coming on the show today i mean it's great to finally meet you in person because this is how we meet each other in person nowadays through zoom right uh so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your organization and what you're passionate about
1: sure thanks so much chris for having me really happy to be here Uh, My name is Zach Ratner, and I am one of the two founders of Yembo. We are a computer vision company that provides services to property insurance and moving companies. Mm -hmm. And um, we build state-of-the-art computer vision technology to be able to accurately assess what's inside someone's home for the purposes of quoting a job. So we are taking the same kind of technology that is powering things like self-driving cars and drones but we are going in a, a direction where we didn't see a whole lot of other um, other folks going into. And it's been a really exciting journey over the
0: last seven years or so. Very, very cool. So how did you get into this space? I mean, it sounds, it, it, you know, people keep saying, it's kind of like the whole micro thing where there's like, uh, you know, there's all these jobs that are out there. They're just, they're not very sort of exciting sounding, but there's, there's tons of opportunity in those spaces. How, how did you find out about this space? How did you get into it? sure i wish i could say i did this like amazing top-down market analysis
1: and found a gap but um i am i'm an engineer by training um never went to business school Um, but my wife was working at a moving company so what Mm -hmm. was really interesting was um, as an engineer i was working in ai computer vision technology and i'd come home from work and she'd tell me these stories about how smooth things could go if jobs are estimated correctly and the host of issues that can come up if things are not estimated correctly and, um, at the time there was, uh, this academic benchmark called ImageNet, and you can think of it like a thousand way, multiple choice test where uh, universities, corporations would submit these, um, algorithms basically to compete in the competition. And, um, so I might hold up a picture and say, what is this of, and the answer might be golden retriever or barn or dinner plate. Um, just so mm-hmm. many, uh, about a thousand different categories and what had happened, um, with this paper Microsoft submitted a few years ago was for the first time, the winning submission beat out an educated human. So for the first objects, uh, identifying objects and images was actually um, better for a computer to do it than a person. And that was right around the time where I realized like this isn't going to just affect self-driving cars, even though that is a huge industry. Um, It's also a very competitive one with a lot of entrenched players, but this is gonna affect like everything. So then we found an opportunity in the moving industry is where we started to um, provide some consistency, give actual pictures when you're giving an estimate out. And I think this is really the key with with AI is the key difference between um, a Yembo estimate and a traditional moving estimate is a traditional one you can do like on a piece of paper or with Excel. Um, it's just like a list of this item, this quantity, this item, this quantity, so yeah. on. But with Yembo, we give pictures. And we knew we were onto something in the early days when one of our first clients saw it and they just said, oh my gosh, how do you have the time? Because they're thinking about like someone's going through and like uh, painstakingly taking photos of every single item. A typical home is like 300 or so different items. But I feel like that's the real power of AI is mm-hmm. that um, you, there are workflows now that the cost to do them has come way down and they Might have been totally infeasible to do it beforehand, but because AI is doing it, it becomes feasible now and the output is something that is faster and it's something that's better. But um, I feel like we're going to see a whole lot more of those going forward, those kinds of situations of how on earth, who has the time to do that? Because the um, expectations that we built up over years haven't really factored in for the pace of technical innovation that's happened in the past couple of years. So I think that's uh, probably a sign of more things to come down the road.
0: Well, obviously AI has the time to do all that, right? But I guess how, how does it actually work? I mean, do you do you take like a do you stand in the middle of the room? You just put a thing on a like some kind of a sixty six three sixty uh, 360 degree camera on a tripod, and then just leave the room and then let its it's do its thing, or how, how does it actually work? I
1: probably could have saved two or three years of R&D if that if I was able to pull that off but a key difference
0: (laughs) it's not one of those science fictiony uh you know you can see like drop a drop a a tiny little device in the middle of the room and it's and you see this like laser scan (laughs) scans the entire room and has the entire inventory in like three seconds no it's not like that (laughs) it
1: sounds great I unfortunately don't own one of those if I had to guess you might not have one either and that's what really makes it challenging is when you send somebody a link you have no clue what they're on there are North of a thousand dollar high-end phones. There's also 20, $30 phones you can buy. So yeah. the process is pretty simple. Um, customer gets a link and they click the link in their browser. They can kind of just walk around their house. Typical 20-ish seconds per room is about what uh, is enough to cover most of them. And then we do all the heavy lifting on the back end. So the, the customer just has to take a quick video um, and then the AI gets processed immediately. And within a couple of minutes of the person finishing, the mover has not just like the video, but it's summarized and here's all the pictures, here's the images, here's the items that we see in it. Here's a volume and a weight estimate. Um, it's kind of shrinking down maybe 60 to 90-ish minutes of human labor to to a couple of minutes and wow. then bring it back to the mover. So they still have the ability to build rapport with the customer. They still have the ability to have the final say. Um, but a lot of the tedious work, like you can see this room behind me, I've got Books on the shelf and things like that Um, you don't have to count how many boxes that stuff's going to take in or if you're on the phone where you can't even see you may have to ask the customer hey how many boxes is it going to take to pack your living room like you may as well roll dice if you're going to do that like uh, yeah exactly
0: you don't know so you just stand so what do you you send a link to the, the person and you do they stand in the middle of the room and like take a video uh or is there is it is it no more complicated than that that's about it yeah and i think to make that
1: work though um, like a lot of machine learning algorithms is it's all about the data. So to make it work in these situations, we had to collect lots and lots of data and fine tune our algorithms based on that. But the interesting part, and, um, if, if you've deployed any kinds of machine learning algorithms, I'm sure you'll see this is, um, you can ask people, you can be as prescriptive, as prescriptive as you want and ask people to go in particular patterns. But at the end of the day, um, people record videos all the time. They have a particular way about doing things. So I think we started off maybe with big egos thinking like I can influence 90, 95% of customer behavior. And then we realized that's <laughs> <really laughs> good. <laughs> but, uh, but finding a way to make it work and make it easy is interesting because we're not in the industries that are going to make things like go viral and do it every day. Like you're not going to love your Yembo experience and then go move 10 more times. Like you may yeah. launch <laughs> times a day, but you're not going to go do this. So it's yep. really key to like nail that out of the box experience. I can't make you like read a 50-page PDF explaining on how to stand in the room and move correctly. Uh, We just let people go for it. And we have algorithms that'll monitor and say, speed up, slow down, turn on a light. Um, I feel like maybe... Oh, so it
0: does it in real time. I thought you would actually... I thought you would actually uh, have them film a video or shoot a video and then send it to you guys. And then you'd process it. You actually have it processing and commenting at the same time as people are walking through the the home? Yeah, we do a certain
1: amount in real time. So the full inventory list that that takes about a minute so we can't do it in real time but the real-time feedback in terms of um if you're moving too fast this is another key lesson that we learned was the um ai is awesome but it's not magic so mm-hmm. if you were to look at a video yourself if you can't identify what's in it then it's probably a fool's errand to try to train an algorithm to do it we had right. one in our early days um who already disconnected their electricity because they were moving and all the videos that came back were just like pure black and when we <laughs> had call it I can't, I can't process this they said oh i thought you said your ai can detect what's there like yeah if, if i can see it it's there <laughs> but uh if you can see it that's right exactly it's very powerful but it's not a magician and um i feel like that's an area that uh is maybe a bit misunderstood if you read like tech media and things like that where people seem to think that it's uh sentient and that it's uh that it's able to do all these crazy things. And I think it's the pace of innovation has really picked up. But at the end of the day, it's code and algorithms and math and science. And it doesn't have um, ambitions
0: or desires. It just starts on line one and runs to the end. Exactly. It's kind of like, I mean, I think we've been spoiled by all this sci-fi and and detective shows where they have these giant screens and they go enhance, 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 enhance. It's like you don't have enough data to zoom in that deep. Right. Yeah. I mean, a lot of that stuff is it's just not, does not exist in real life. Exactly. Yeah.
1: You can invent something that may, maybe looks like that, but to actually make it real. um, Yeah, I feel like movies, it's a blessing and a curse. It it does. um, It does pique the public's interest and makes people kind of care about the things that we're working on that maybe would be not palatable otherwise. But at the same time, I feel like we have this obsession with society to think about like a terminator in 2001 a space odyssey so when people hear ai they don't usually think cool stuff they think um adversarial situations and yeah like it's um it's causing a lot of misunderstanding and maybe causing people to even overlook some awesome opportunities that would otherwise come up i mean in our product if you log in um we spent a lot of time to make it easy right because you're you're selling in an industry that probably hasn't used the technology before and um if it takes you like two days to learn how to use it, you'll uh, your interest will maybe wane. I think oh, you yeah. did a great job, right? You log into ChatGPT, it looks like texting, and like you're using it. You maybe never used AI before, but that kind of out of the box experience is really important mm-hmm. uh, because I feel like done correctly, AI should allow humans to do bigger, better things. They don't replace humans. Like at the end of the day, um, you couldn't. By moving services or property insurance services from Yumbo if there's no humans in the loop. It's just the humans are freed up from counting, annotating every different item that they can focus more around, like tailoring the service to your preferences and building rapport with you and all these kinds of things that are very difficult to automate, um,
0: Yeah, possibly never able to be automated. But how how accurate is it? I mean, when you go in there and you do the estimate and then movers actually come in and they they move everything around and they move it. How like are you very, very close to being super accurate or is there like a, a, a big variance there? Sure, yeah. So in
1: the industry, accuracy is usually thresholded if it's 10%, within 10% of the weight, it's considered okay. And if it's past 10%, it's considered not okay. And um, in our deployments, we see most folks hovering around like 4% or so. So it's, it's mm. a pretty good margin underneath. But there's a lot of different causes. I wish I could say there was like one kind of... Um, holy grail problem that we solved that got us there, but it was really a lot of different things. Um, Oversized ambitions is probably the number one cause where if I ask you 30 or 60 days before you move, like tell me everything that's moving, people will say, oh, don't worry about that. I'll have sold it. Or this is, I'm going to have a garage sale. That'll be gone. (laughs) And the day of the move comes and it's all still there. So we found um, like making it easy to make updates is really important. Um, Also not all errors are created equal. We had a silly day in our in our early days where um Yembo said that there were about 45 trash cans in somebody's living room. <laughs> <laughs> the video um when the movie came about it and they were right um because it was trash day and oh man saw, like garbage <laughs> can recycling bin garbage can recycling bin. And not a had- good day t- not a good day to take a take in a, a video of your home. <laughs> Exactly. But I mean, um, it's valid, right? I mean, like, you don't want software that works six days out of the week, you want it to work all the time. So yeah. it sounds really like silly. But as humans, you would just understand, oh, that's outside of the room. But algorithms don't know it; they see it, they put it up there. So we had to actually train the AI to detect windows. I don't know mm-hmm. anyone who's ever actually moved a window. But right. we did that just to not care about the stuff inside of it. Because that means that you're seeing things that are outside of the room. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, use-
0: how does it do things like like for example, behind you, you have all these statuettes. I mean, how does it know that that's stone, that's metal, that's, I mean, is it able to suss that out or does it just look at the size of it and go, well, I think this can't be any heavier than, you know, 50 pounds or something
1: like that? Sure. So I, there are certain limitations to what the technology can do. Like I would have mentioned before is if the, if the person looking at it can't tell, then the AI, um, won't be able to tell. Now we've done lots of these, like we have, um, we have millions of videos that we've looked at. So for things that are kind of difficult like that, to tell like, what is this material made out of behind me? For those, um, we get the data. And because in in a moving world, this usually goes into a a box. So you typically don't just like throw small items of that loose on a truck. So what really matters for that domain is how many boxes do I need and what size? So for that, um, it can be hard to look at like tiny little knickknacks and things like that. So under a certain like size threshold, in our industry, it matters more about, um, like how many cartons do you need? So the algorithms are fine tuned for that. Um, because yeah, there's, there's a long tail. And then also, um, I think that human in the loop is really where things are powerful because you'll never be able to automate everything, right? Like is a ring gold plated or is it solid gold? So we still allow for notes and the mover can still have a conversation with the customer, but um if you're relegated to those kinds of things that are really high value we've actually found that makes the conversations like kind of more engaging more relevant because you're talking about the things that you care about that like mean a lot to you whereas you're not um asking about like i don't know how many pairs of socks do you have or someone yeah. doesn't care
0: so much. well isn't there but isn't there a huge variation between weights like a, a box of books is way heavier than a box of knickknacks so i mean is it able to different it's able to differentiate those
1: Correct. Yeah. And I would say it's able to differentiate in the industry that we're in. Um, so if you were to try to make like a, I don't know, a UPS scale replacement tool or like take it into another domain, there are certain things that it would do well and certain things that it wouldn't. Um, but with the, with the moving case, generally what really matters is the total shipment weight. So people don't generally like cherry pick one item and put that on the scale and say, hi, you said it was 40 pounds. It's really 50 something's up here. <laughs> Or like if you're shipping internationally and it's a container, that container size, or if you're um, in a truck, you know, when you're driving down the roads and it says like max weight for this truck, like the trucks generally have to go on weigh stations for um, department of transportation guidelines. So that's the kind of like um, granularity that we're working at. So we, we monitor each thing, obviously um, lots of small errors can accumulate into a big error, um, but, but not all errors are created equal. So um, things like, um, miscounting things because it's trash day has like a huge variation but yeah if a box of paperback books versus a box of hardcover books these kinds of things um at least in our in our industry like there are certain distinctions that don't matter as much and that's where we've been like spending our engineering time um on other areas we always want to look at like what are the top 10 causes and our view um is that your top 10 complaints about your product your tar- top 10 like that people wish it could do that it can't do should be changing month over month because that means mm-hmm. that you're doing the right thing so it's like we're very open to hearing feedback but um kind of chasing down every every possible rabbit trail doesn't really like you can't add up all these things and make like a corporate strategy out of it so we we look at it in terms of like how do we how do we make it easier to use how do we make it more applicable and wider um, amounts of use cases and then once we start going down that road when impediments come up like um hey, you don't work on trash day, <laughs> then we then we go out of our way to like build the solutions that make that fi- get fixed.
0: So um, from when you first started to today, how has the sort of the computer vision landscape changed? I mean, has everything gotten a lot better? I mean, are we at the point where it can't get much better? Or wh- how, where are we at right now? I would say it's kind of
1: exhausting as of late, because there's been so much. <laughs> I feel like when I started, um, I'd go to dinner with friends that want to talk about ai computer vision and people usually moved on didn't want to Yeah,
0: (laughs) their eyes would glaze over right (laughs) (laughs) Um, but uh
1: i feel like what's happened now is the a few things have happened i think the the algorithms themselves um have improved i think that's made tooling around it um better which makes it easier to use so if an academic researcher does a study and publishes a paper, it's kind of hard for a layperson to like do something with, but there's a lot of good instrumentation out there where there's open source code you can download and use, or there's um, services that are in many cases free or pretty close to free, where it's very inexpensive to, to use the technology. So I've seen mm-hmm. a lot of progress in terms of just like, maybe not all directly to consumer, but developer tools where it's easier to put it into your product. Um, and then just what's happened in the generative space in the past couple of months has been um, exponentially faster than anything I probably could have anticipated. Right. Um, and there are things like, um, like chat GPT or stable diffusion or mid-journey where the AI is not perceiving and like looking around and seeing what's there, but it's actually creating things. And that's just opening up like um, a whole new can of use cases that I feel like the world is still kind of digesting and grappling with and figuring out where does it work and where does it not work.
0: Right. Yeah, can you use that in a re- in reverse to sort of improve your computer vision determining what's out there?
1: It's a great idea. There are there are folks that do it. The, um, there's like um, there's papers published about it. There are companies that um will call they call it synthetic data. So they'll mm. basically make a data set that you can go and train your AI on. It can be useful for certain things, but you do need to be careful because you get sort of like a an echo chamber problem. Where you like tell yourself what you want to see, then you train your AI. You think you're really good at it, right? Uh, I've found the closer you can get to like real world use cases and scenarios, the better. Um, A lot of this generative work, it tends to be trained on or look a lot like beautiful catalog imagery. Which um, I I moved a couple of years ago. My house looked nothing like a beautiful catalog two weeks before I moved. (laughs) Everywhere you have uh, like um, clothing all lying around. So it, it is useful for certain things where it's difficult to collect the actual data, but you just got to be really careful because unlike if you're taking real imagery, it's not always clear if you're veering off into like fantasy land, right? uh, Because you, you could just be making up stuff. So it's powerful, but, um, it's not a silver bullet, unfortunately. Yeah.
0: So as far as I'm concerned, it's, it can't do photorealistic images yet because I mean, I've tried doing this thing on Twitter where I post a real image and I post a, uh, Mm -hmm. a. AI generated image it's you can always tell you can always tell no matter how good the image is I mean it's a great image but you can always tell it's not reality exactly
1: yeah and I think it it will improve and things will change my view though is that um and I worked in freelancing for a while before I started Yembo and I feel like when you're freelancing understanding what the client really wants is like nine-tenths of the battle so as long as clients are um like not able to crisply articulate what exactly they want. I think freelancers will still have jobs Um, because when the AI makes mistakes is you got to remember it's they're biologically inspired, but they are not biology. So the
0: mistakes that AI make are usually weird and like a human. Tell me about it. Some of the hideous images that have come out of this, (laughs) the ones I've been trying lately have been, have been insane. And sometimes the exact same prompt will give mm -hmm. you a completely different and amazing image. Yeah, other, or it'll give you a something that's absolutely grotesque Exactly, and it's just have, it's freaking
1: I have, I have two favorites in that in the category of um ai making not not realistic mistakes and that is kind of kind of going back to it's how it's trained and if you look at a lot of pictures of people some things like uh most people have two eyes it'll learn reasonably well but um fingers are often occlud- like you might not see all of them they're often occluded and teeth also so I had a friend yep. send me a picture. I forget the name of the tool, but she she ran some selfies through an AI image generator and said, "Like you got to update my contact photo. Check this out." And I did it And like a day later. I messaged her back and said, "I'm sorry, I can't keep this on my phone. You have three front teeth, and I can't see anything else anymore." <laughs> no artists would ever do that, but um, but the AI doesn't know better because it just sees a bunch of teeth, so it it makes these <laughs> kind of mistakes.
0: Well, yeah, I ran my. Uh profile picture through something and it came back and it was like it, it didn't look like me at all it was like an alternate reality version of me which it didn't I didn't look like I mean it was it, it was nice and crisp and everything and it was a, a little cartoony which was fun but it definitely didn't look like me it definitely lost a lot of the features I, it looked like a different person I thought it was like it was is it was strange but a lot of people love this kind of stuff and they're just using it to to update things and I don't yeah. know Like,
1: yeah, for things like profile photos, where I don't know, people probably wouldn't go like um, hire a professional in most cases to go make one. Like, people, the shelf life is kind of short in most cases. Um, But I feel like the use cases where you're brainstorming, where it's like okay to make a mistake. Like, if I were to ask a designer, hey, we're launching a new product, I need a new logo. Can you like sketch 10 ideas? Like, it's okay if that comes back and it's not super refined. Yeah. So, those kinds of workflows where you're, you're brainstorming, you want to kind of try a couple different things out, like it's maybe okay. But I feel like we're still not quite there where you could say, like, I don't need any designers at all. Like, I'm not sure because yeah. it's also only been trained on historical data. So it can never really do like something new because it's only um, kind of predicting what it should do based on that body of work it's already seen.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, that's so. what I always think is going to be. It's going to end up being the people who use it weren't going to hire a designer anyway. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. the ones who are going to hire a designer, they would probably not use it because what they what it generates isn't good enough for what they're looking for.
1: Yeah, but I could see a designer taking on more clients because now they don't have to sketch all these initial pieces. They can kind of like have a more relevant intake conversation and figure out yep. what this person actually wants faster. Um, but that's why I encourage people to play around with it. And uh, it's kind of easy to sit on the sideline and see something get posted, oh, I can tell that's fake and like kind of be a critic, but there's just so much up for grabs right now that I feel like sitting this out is kind of like sitting out when the smartphone revolution happened in the 2010s and the internet yeah. happened before it. So it's like, you don't have to invent everything, but like, just, just play around with it, understand what it can and can't do. Yeah.
0: Well, the thing I love about it, I think the most, and is that you can actually go from idea to a representation of the idea much faster, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're thinking, like, let's say you're thinking about writing a book, right? You Like you may have a topic and you might have an outline, but, you know, it can help you get the rest of it out, even if you have to heavily edit it to get it to the point where it's, where it's useful. So it, it definitely, you know, five times, 10 times as people's productivity, as long as they have that, that initial seed of an idea right. from the human, because you, the seeds from the, from the AI just just aren't right there, right yet.
1: Yeah, that's a, it's a great example. And I, uh, a couple, I have a fun, fun story we just recently did with this. So I believe I mentioned this before, but I actually have recently written a book. It's called "Grow Up Fast." And oh, it's cool! Lessons learned from starting an AI company. Um, it's nice. On, pre-order on Amazon now. It'll be launching on August first. But we did. I'll a, definitely put links in the show notes to the to the book. I want to read that. I'll cool. buy it. I'll, I'll send you. send me your address after. I'll send you a copy. But um, but we did exactly this. So I'd never written a book before. Um, I have managed people before, and I had kind of um, done a lot of mentoring, but I hadn't really like written in that format. So when I first wrote everything, I was done and I wasn't sure, like, is this any good or not? So uh, I did what we do in software, which is you find a group of users in this case, like um, identifying your ideal readers and you find them and you, we sent the book out and we asked for a couple questions on the feedback form. And then the last question was like, if you had to rate this book on Amazon today, what would you rate it? And the first iteration I did about nine months ago, when I thought I was done, I got a whopping 2.8 out of five. Um <laughs> Give feedback and uh, if you're the kind of person that's filling out one of these forms you're usually not just going to flame and move on you usually give feedback so we iterated and then when we were when we uh, deemed it ready it got up to 4.8 but nice. in the process, i found it was really helpful to um to kind of check if you're on the right way because it takes a while right if you if you finish it you think you're done you send it okay like 12 people right out they're giving their feedback forms so it's kind of fun to um We'd ask ChatGPT, assume you're writing a one-star review on this chapter paste. Um, what would be some of the reasons why? And then like you can look at it and you can ask yourself, um, is this, is this helpful? Like, do I agree with that? Is that a valid critique? Is it not? So having it like kind of role play AI, like as a role-playing person for you, as opposed to just like, hi, AI write a book for me, it would probably make no sense and no one would want to read anyway. Yeah. Has, has been pretty interesting where there's a lot of use cases that I found that are like that. Um, we also have some folks that work with like different communication styles. Some people write longer messages with more context, some people write shorter ones. So we have some people in our team that are asking, like, rewrite this in the style of Zach to like see, is it easier to uh, to come across um, in the style of other people? So I sort of think of it as like a infinitely patient tutor where you can like constantly ask yeah. questions and it never gets fed up. Um, exactly.
0: I think we're going to get to the point though. I don't know if you've seen that cartoon, the two panel one, where in the first panel, uh, somebody has a headline and they write a huge blog post on the headline. And then the second panel is like, summarize this into one line. <laughs> Does it end up back at the headline
1: or is it something? That- yeah,
0: it ends up back at the same.
1: Headline. <laughs> I could see that being like game of telephone where it like veers
0: off into a strange direction. <laughs> cool. Awesome. So it's time to take a look at the future. It's uh, 10 years out, the year 2033. Where do you think things are going to be in 10 years? In your space and, uh, and in AI and computer vision in general?
1: I think we'll probably stop talking about AI, sort of like how we don't think about mobile computing as much, just kind of there and we use it and the uh, the need to label it will probably have gone. I am generally an optimist. I mean, if you look at all the other times some big disruptive technology has come in, it's made more jobs, not less. Um, and I feel like it'll be what one person will be able to do is going to be mind boggling by today's standards. Um, oh, yeah. Even just like six months ago to now, these kinds of things that can happen is already um, incredibles. But ten years down the road, it's just so far down the road that I feel like we'll probably have um, quite a few. Uh, I don't know if
0: the, if the term will still be around, but these solopreneurs, like people that are just one. Yeah. person. I hate that term, but you know that's that's where I see things going. I see everyone. I see a lot of people getting into that space because if you think about it, as startup founders. You know, you think about a startup, you've got the technical founder you've got the marketing person you've got the you know there's so there everyone has their particular skill set but nowadays if you're missing one of those skill set you can leverage some ai to do that piece for you really yeah where i think before people would just
1: kind of ignore it i mean i'm an engineer a lot of my friends in school were engineers and like um couple of us in our dorm rooms we wanted to like make extra money by building websites for other people so we'd like make a marketing website and put it up and then just stop because like
0: yeah like, nobody
1: would go then like <laughs> shocker like the only three people who visited were me my mom and my roommate um, yeah yeah so i feel like these kinds of you can ask it like what are some reasonable outreach channels i'm willing to spend x dollars or i'm not willing to spend anything um where it, it lowers the barrier to entry and it lowers the barrier to entry in areas that are um valuable. I mean, that's why people are spending time and resources and building tools that make it easier is it's not just like an academic toy kind of thing. It's like a very real, um, helpful thing. So again, I think definitely keep a human in the loop until things get to be hundred hundred hundred, percent. I mean, we've been talking about it as an industry for self-driving cars for how long now, and they're still not quite here. And that's just because those long tails, those edge cases, um, come up and until the algorithms can
0: handle everything it's not going to be hundred, but human beings can't handle everything. I can't imagine how they expect algorithms to handle everything. I mean, it's kind of like when uh, I, I used, to, I was using ChatGPT to help me write a book. I'm writing this time travel science fiction novel, and it was it was great at first, but then it started forgetting things about my characters. It would forget the name, it for, it would forget these attributes. It would forget when it was born. It would forget this. I'm like, this is an AI. It should be remembering everything, but. It's it's almost as a fa- as fallible. It's as fallible as us because it's basically designed on us. So wouldn't it be as fallible as we are? Yeah, and I
1: think that that's that's the issue. Is it has these mistakes. It has the flaws baked in, but it's presented often in a way that is kind of final, right? Like when you when you made your profile picture, you didn't get back like an illustrator file that you could change if you wanted to. It's done. It's like here's the JPEG. Yeah. Post this on <laughs> <That's> social. <right. laughs> I feel like there's a disconnect there between like what it's capable of doing and, um, and what you're able to work with on the end. And that's, I think it's just a sign that we're in early days. I think there will be, there'll be more and more, um, kind of tooling, baked in things like that, just training our AI for the first years. We didn't have any third party tools we could buy, even if we wanted to. So like we had to build our own infrastructure for pulling down data for annotating, for training, evaluating. And there have been tools that have come out since then, but I feel like it, it lags for some time. It takes takes the world time to catch up. And I feel like it's not really fair. Like if we were born 10,000 years ago, plus or minus a couple of thousand years, our lives wouldn't have looked a whole lot different. But if you're born in like 2000 plus or minus 10 years, things are dramatically different. So it's just like oh, yeah. the virtue of the times that we're living in.
0: Well, yeah. When well, you think about it, uh, you know, Facebook and and Twitter and smartphones were born in 2008. So mm-hmm. that's not even twenty years ago. It's it's insane how quickly things have moved on, and and, and just, it's just going to get more and more rapid. So uh, I just love to see what's going to happen next, and I hope we we use all this for all this technology for good.
1: Yeah, for sure. And um, and I think I think we'll get there because I mean I think a lot of the things that are um, that are happening right now in this space, like there's a there's like an inherent network effect to amplify good things. Like if people mm-hmm. do something that is, um, awesome. Then other people want to know about it. Like there's an, in- there's an economic incentive to be like, Hey, I can be more efficient doing this. And, um, I mean, it is software is a tool. There are good and bad tools and or good and bad ways to use existing tools. But I feel like the, um, like you don't see people like banning hammers because you can hit someone with it. Like it's a construction right. tool, but, um, Where I'm going with all of that is that I feel like we already have a society that amplifies when good things are done with it, and that I feel like we we got to let it play out a bit. And yeah, there it's good to have guardrails. It's good to have like safety mechanisms in there. But um, I would just be I feel like we would leave something on the table if we were to just get scared and not want to touch something Um, because all it takes is one person to be curious; they'll figure it out, and then. Um, the world to have to grapple with what comes up next. So that's why I encourage everybody to tinker. I'd much rather live in a world where ten thousand people have access to things that were impossible a year ago than it being like concentrated in a
0: couple like huge tech companies. So that's why absolutely because I- the innovation is everywhere. I mean, and ideas are everywhere, and everyone everyone has the ability to come up with come up with something. I mean, everyone sees everyone sees sees issues and they try to solve problems, right? And and being able to to disseminate the, the solutions faster is is always amazing,
1: exactly, yeah, and it's also fun to to like experiment without like a commercial goal in mind. so I have a five, mm. and um we used um I think it's a a meta tool it's that animates things so you can draw whatever like creature you want and it will uh, you take a picture of it on your phone and it has AI that detects like what its skeletal structure will be, and you can make it like run and jump and bounce. Oh! Cool. Uh, I can't animate, but like this, this kid, he's coming to me and he's like, hey, draw, draw a stick figure, give him a party hat and then have him like jump on a trampoline. And like 30 seconds later, you have something. Now, I'm sure if you were a professional animator, you'd look at it, you'd find issues and stuff. But it's like um, what that's doing for creativity, for like for people that are just learning how the world works. It's like um, it's pretty, pretty powerful.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember a long time ago when I was with Yahoo, we were talking about a concept called computer assisted creativity. Where, I mean, that's highly technical term for the AI helps you do stuff, right? And we're just seeing more and more of that happening. And it's just it can only be a good thing for us because I think uh, people's people are dreaming these things, and they're 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 looking at all the work required to create, and it's just so much work. And if you can sort of ease that path, then we'll see more more good stuff come out. Exactly. Yeah, and I feel like there's a we have.
1: Simple versions of these things already in the world today. I mean, if you use autocorrect on your keyboard, strictly speaking, that's that's like an algorithm telling you it's finishing your sentences for you. Exactly. Built in a proper way, so it doesn't feel intrusive or annoying. But um, when you take a picture on your phone, there's a million parameters about like focal length, white balance, and a lot of times modern phones they'll detect a face and then just like set everything for you. So I feel like these are the things that really make it like easier to do something. Where if I want to take a picture with my family. I don't really care about like what's the F number and all that kind of stuff. But if you just make it easier to get the right thing by default, um, and these are basic. um, So you ask 10 years down the road, who has any idea? But like, I think more of those kinds of things at larger and larger scales. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this has been great. Thank you so much. Um, If somebody wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way? Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Chris. So my email is really easy. Um, It's Zach, Z-A-C-H at Yembo, Y-E-M-B-O dot A-I. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. Talk to you soon. You we'll talk to you later. Bye now. Bye.